this morning. Uh, we're going to be finishing up kind of our little mini-series. I was going to do this in January on prayer. And if you're new to the church, typically um, I will teach expositorily verse by verse through books of the Bible. But um, we wanted to do something a little bit different to start this year, and that's to focus on one of the, the habits or the practices of Jesus. And the first one that we're focusing on this year is prayer. And uh, I think it was Dallas Willard that said, you know, there's all these awesome promises of the life that God promises for us as believers. And he says, if we want to experience the life of Jesus in our lives, then we need to begin to practice the lifestyle of Jesus in our lives. Begin to do some of the things that, that he did. And as we've looked at this topic, we see this was something that Jesus regularly did. In one of the Gospels, it says Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place to pray. It's something that struck his disciples and they saw his prayer life and they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. We see in your prayer something that makes a huge difference in life. And last week, we looked at the fact that prayer is predominantly not to get things, but to get God himself to connect us in a relationship with God. And, and all that sounds great, right? And you said, yeah, I'm on board with that. I, I love that kind of stuff. And uh, I'm pushing into that. But uh, how many of you would be comfortable if uh, your prayer life for the last week was kind of projected up on the screen behind us? And I, yeah, I got this down. You can see by how I was praying. And I think I'm not saying that to give you a sense of shame, but this is something in terms of actually applying it in practice in our lives that's often uh, a struggle for us as, as believers. And so I've entitled this morning, The What and the How of Prayer. And we're going to be looking more practically, pragmatically at this topic than we typically do on a Sunday morning in terms of opening the word, but I'm going to look at just how do we go about this process actually in kind of riveting into our lives this, this practice that was so important to Jesus. So, so what do we pray about? Many of you, I was reading a book, and this is a guy that teaches seminary, and at the beginning of a class on spiritual disciplines, he says, all right, in the middle of this class, I'm going to ask you to go and spend four hours in prayer. And he said, now these are seminary students. You say, you look at their faces and they're like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do for four hours in prayer with the Lord? And I think um, for many of us, that would be a similar reaction, right? What, what do I say? You know, I'm pretty much exhausted of all the things that I need to pray for after about, you know, three or four minutes. And then, you know, as another guy said, you know, I'm saying the same old things in the same old way a thousand times over. So. So what do I what do I pray? And uh, we talked a little bit about this the first week when we focused on the Lord's Prayer and the disciples asking Jesus to teach them about prayer. And I want to be clear up front that what I'm going to talk about this morning, these are guidelines. These are suggestions. These aren't hard and fast. This is the way you have to do it. But as we approach prayer, I think these are some significant ways that Throughout the history of the church and in the scriptures, prayer has been a, a part of people's lives. And we looked at the Lord's Prayer, and to me, um, the first thing as we approach kind of praying and what should we pray about is that uh, we need to just kind of still ourselves and, and get quiet. And kind of some people will say this is a centering prayer, just a time to kind of disconnect, to take away all the distractions, the digital distractions and all the other distractions that we have in life and just be in a place where we can be still and to, to recognize who we are speaking with. And that's to me the first thing. And that's where you get in the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. Remind yourself of who you're talking to and reconnect with him. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, I'm here. And, and you're my father, and you're my father in heaven. You're in control of everything. You permeate every place where I am, and you're present right here with me right now. So I think to me, starting in that place where we recognize, okay, we've moved away from all the distractions, and we've gotten quiet, and we're saying, okay, who am I speaking with right now? And spend some time thinking about that. 
provide some space in your prayer life for a little bit of a perspective change. Most of us are, as human beings, pretty much consumed with what's going on horizontally around us, right? And it's always there. It's never ending. And I think unless we make a concerted effort to set aside some space and time where we shift our focus off the horizontal purposefully onto the vertical, we're going to have trouble praying. And I think that's the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, our Father. And that amazing thing that Jesus is allowing us to call the God of this universe our Father. And we talked about the fact that regardless of what your human father was like, this is the good, good father. This is the father that delights to give good gifts for his children. And he is never against us. So to remember that in the beginning. And then to remember why you are there praying that you are a beloved daughter or a beloved son of the Father, and you're here for His kingdom's glory, and you're here to be about His will and His purposes. And I think, again, this is so contrary to how we often approach prayer. Typically, evangelicals think of prayer as what? Intercession. I need to pray for this and this and this and this, all these horizontal things, and it's not that God is unconcerned with that, but again, at the beginning of this prayer is like, who am I relating to and what should my focus be in relationship with this God? I am here for his kingdom's glory and for his will to be done. That's a radical shift in perspective. And then the third thing is to me to humbly acknowledge and to express our dependence. I'm completely dependent on you, God. And as he goes through the Lord's Prayer, he says he's completely dependent on the Lord for daily bread, the necessities of life, for forgiveness, for becoming a gracious forgiver of others, for overcoming those distorted desires, what the Bible calls those fleshly desires in us, temptations, and for spiritual protection. Those are all the things in the Lord's Prayer that, to me, evidence this heart of humility before God. God, I need you, what we just sung, right? Lord, I need you. I need thee every hour is an old hymn. So this, this reality of I'm in a posture of complete dependence before God. God, I'm here and I need to receive from you. If I don't hear from you, if I don't receive from you, I won't be able to make it in life. And I think around this idea of who are we approaching, what should be my attitude as I approach this God, and God, here are all these needs in my life. Infused in all of this, I think there needs to be an attitude of thanksgiving. If we read in Philippians 4, you know, don't be anxious about anything. First it says, God is near, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. And then he says, with thanksgiving, present your requests before the Lord. So even as you start out your prayer, God, you're my father. I thank you that you're my father. I thank you that I've got this relationship with you that's based not on my performance, but solely based on your love for me. You have called me to be born again into this life with you. You are a good father that delights in me, and I don't deserve it, but you love me despite that. So to use that kind of as a, a catalyst for thanksgiving as you go through this prayer. And God, you've been so good. You've provided my daily bread through the years. And once again, I'm coming and acknowledging my need for you. Thanks for being so super faithful to me through all these years. And Lord, I'm struggling now, but I thank you that I know where that source of solution is from. It's, it's from you, and I'm coming to you with these needs right now. So to me, that's kind of the what of prayer. I'm bringing the real me to the real God. And, and that's the, the, the focus here that, God, you're who you said you were. I don't get to make you up in my head. You know, that's our world today. It's like, I call it the smorgasbord God. You know, it's like, okay, I want a, a lot of God's love. Don't want any of that judgment stuff. And I'm not concerned about his ethic about this or that. And come tax time, not really want to hear about, you know, financial integrity and, and those kind of things. And we'll pick and choose. And it's like, no, I come to God as he has revealed himself in truth. Many of you, I think, as you've prayed, uh, maybe have used the ACTS acronym right? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication as kind of a, a grid. That's, to me, you know, all these things are based on that. As, as you look, okay, I'm, I'm adoring this Father that I get to be in relationship with. Um, and the Lord's Prayer actually 
supplication comes before confession, but that doesn't make a really good acronym. ATCS doesn't, or AT, you know, whatever it is, doesn't work right. So, but to me, again, it's not necessarily the order of these things, but the heart behind these things. I'm coming to you, the real God. You're my father. I want to come in a posture of humility. I want to be about what you want me to be about in life. And Lord, I, I acknowledge these are all of my needs and I'm just bringing them to you because you alone are the only one that is able to meet these needs. To me, one of the most beautiful prayers in the New Testament that we see is that man that says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Very simple, not following a rigid formula, but it's just his heart was in the right place. I recognize that you're Lord. I recognize that my forgiveness comes for you, from you. And please have mercy on me. I don't deserve it, but I come humbly before you and ask for you. And what does Jesus say? That man went away right with God, justified in the eyes of the Father, just because his humble heart was in the right place. And I think when we get into the nuts and bolts of prayers, we can lose sight kind of of what the core is. And that's our heart relationship and our heart posture towards God. I want the real me to be connecting with the real God and the words and, and the phrases and the, the order in which we put all those things is, is not to me that significant, but it's, it's my heart. And then how do we go about praying? I think there's two modes of prayer that you see in Jesus' life. One is what I'm going to call focused prayer. That's those times where Jesus goes and gets away and spends time with his father and his whole focus is on speaking with the father. Um, it's going away to a quiet place, to a lonely place, to the desert. Um, why does he do that? Um, because I think we need a lack of distractions in our lives sometimes to hear from God. And if Jesus needed it in the first century before iPhones and all that kind of stuff. How much more do we need that? And even in the midst of that life, you know, he's getting away out of the bustle of the city into someplace quiet where he could be with his father and say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening like Samuel did. I want to hear you. So I think... You've got to think about where in my life can I carve out some space for stillness and quiet before the Lord. And this is probably going to take some sacrifice somewhere. For me, it works best in the morning. Um, I think, you know, personally starting the morning with the Lord is the way I like to start my day. It shifts my perspective onto the Lord before I get into the midst of the day. I was talking to a friend and he used to get up in the morning and, you know, look at his news feed and then he would sense his anxiety and his anger going up as he looked at all that kind of stuff. And then he would move to pray. And he said, usually, you know, I was so upset by the, and I said, okay, I need to switch this around. I will start by shifting my perspective on, okay, you're my father, you're in control of everything. You know, even though this world seems crazy, I have a relationship with you. You promised never to leave me and never forsake me. And he spent time with the Lord. He got his perspective altered. And then he would read the news. I'm not saying stick your head in the sand, but I think how we look at life depends greatly on the perspective from which we look. If we look at it from a God perspective to say, okay, Jesus has got this ultimate, ultimately, what did I just say? <laughs> oh, yeah. <anyway. laughs> Who's back on that soundboard? <laughs> From a God perspective, the problems that I encounter are going to look a lot smaller when I'm up there. When I'm down at a human perspective, it's going to often look overwhelming. And so I think for me, it's really crucial that I start the day with that. If you're not a morning person, spend just a couple minutes there in your bleary-eyed state just to connect with God before you go into the day. And then maybe your longer still time may be in the evening. That may be the best time for you. To me, you know, it's not that important. But what is important is setting aside some space, place, time for stillness with God, where we can just be with God and there's not a million 
distractions. So I don't know how that's going to look in your life. And I know different stages make that more difficult. You know, we've talked about moms with little kids. It's next to impossible. But again, to find some still small place to be with the Lord. So that's focused prayer. The other type of prayer I'm going to call multitasking prayer. And this is 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray without ceasing, right? And again, I don't think Paul there is talking about, okay, you need to constantly be praying, do nothing else in life. It's pretty clear that's not how Jesus lived. None of his apostles lived like that. Paul made tents, you know. Paul says, you know, get a job, go to work, right? But he also calls these people who he's calling to get a job to pray without ceasing. So how in the world does that happen? And I think that happens when there's just kind of a constant dialogue in our head with the Lord. There's, I think, three, maybe four times where we hear the audible voice in Scripture of the Father speaking with the Son. But other than that, I think it's just Jesus was tuned in to the Father. Father, of all of these people that are by this pool, which one do you want me to speak to and heal? And just there was that sense that he had, this is the one that, that you go to. And so I think that ongoing dialogue as we are living life, that I am aware that God is present with me in the midst of this. Okay, Lord, how can I help this client that I'm serving now? How can I maybe show up for you in this situation? What type of love does this person need to be shown right now? Does this person need an encouraging word or does this person need a challenge to, to get with the program? Lord, give me insight, give me wisdom. So it's constantly in the back background of your mind as you're going through life. Lord, how do you want me to live your life in the midst of this world? The, the famous Christian that kind of and didn't develop this, but first kind of put it to pen, I think was Brother Lawrence, you know, and just he was a monk working in a kitchen, you know, and then people would basically flock to him because, you know, every moment he was like, okay, Lord, you're here with me. I, I want to do this for you in the midst of this circumstance and just had a close, close walk with God. Another guy from the last century is a guy named Frank Laubach, who, you know, I think digital watches had just come out and he would set his watch, you know, First every 15 minutes or every hour and then you know every 15 minutes and then every minute. I want to be conscious of your presence with me, Lord, at all times, regardless of what I'm doing. So I think those are two kind of modes of prayer that God wants us to walk in in life. And I think both of those you see in Jesus' life. I need this set-aside time where I can really focus in on God, but I also realize that I'm to be in this world, but that doesn't mean I disconnect from God. Okay, my time with the Lord is done. Now I'm going and I'm doing my job or doing what I do all day, and then I'm going to reconnect with God the next morning. No, my time with God connects me with God, and then this ability to walk, staying connected with God through the day in the midst of the busyness of life. So those to me are two types or modes of prayer. How do we keep our prayers from becoming rote or routine or even boring? Um, to me, this is not an unusual problem. Um, Tim Rayapa gave me this uh, little book, uh, Praying the Bible. Um, it's by a guy named Don Whitney. And this in that book, basically, he says, use the Bible to kind of craft your prayers. And that's not a new thing. Um, in the medieval church, basically, they had this thing called Lectio Divina. It's, uh, you know, it's one of those Latin names, you know, Christians, Protestants get, oh, evangelical. Oh, now we're moving into this, this Latin territory. And I don't, I don't like that. But basically, how many believers have kept their prayer life vibrant is to base their prayer life off the word of God. And it's what I'm going to call a word-centered approach, um, where you use the Bible kind of as your guide for prayer. Um, in Lectio Divina, it starts with Lectio, like reading, right? And it starts with reading the text. And when you're reading the text at this time, it's not kind of a, a Bible study reading of the text. If there are certain parts that are confusing, oftentimes they just pass by those things. What you're trying to do is to connect 
with God in the midst of this. Alistair McGrath, in a little book called Beyond the Quiet Time, says this. He says, we've moved basically beyond the Enlightenment to kind of a, a postmodern, uh, non-rational view. But he says there's some good in that because one of the things of the Enlightenment is it caused many believers to approach the Bible as we would approach a chemistry textbook in a very clinical way. Um, he says uh, this, many Christians limit their spirituality to understanding the biblical text. That is to reading it, making sense of its words and ideas and understanding its historical background and its meaning for today. Thus the emphasis continues to be solely on reason. Yet we need to reach beyond the enlightenment and recover older and more authentic evangelical approaches to spirituality, such as those found in the great Puritan writers, such as Jonathan Edwards, or those of pietist writers, such as John and Charles Wesley. The enlightenment placed an embargo on any kind of emotional involvement with scripture or any use of human faculty of imagination, two approaches that earlier evangelicalism had treasured. Scripture was to be read solely as if it were a religious textbook, not a narrative of the love of God. So this idea that we have the living word of God, where the living God will speak to us through his word, is what McGrath is talking about, is what the medieval Christians were talking about in this time of Lectio Divina. You start with reading the word. Then you move to meditatio, which is meditating on the word, pondering the word. Um, to meditate in scripture was well, the, one of the words often used was for chewing, just chewing on it. For those animals like cows that chew and chew and chew and chew, chewing on over and over and over, thinking about it, meditating on it, pondering it. And then it moved to oratio, and that's prayer. Moving from thinking about the word to to basically praying the word. And then the final sense is contemplatio. It's just resting in what God has shown of himself and how that relates to you as a person. Uh, George Mueller, uh, many of you know George Mueller. He was the uh, 19th century English guy that started orphanages and was kind of famous for all of his answered prayers. You know, this was a guy that Never made need known, needs known public, but had these orphanages with thousands of kids in there. And he'd just pray, Lord, we, we need something. And then like five minutes later, at one time, you know, the famous stories they needed, I think, uh, food for breakfast. And then, you know, the milk truck that's coming by breaks down in front of the orphanage. And it's like, all this stuff is going to spoil before it gets back. So do you guys have a need for any of this stuff? And he's got thousands and thousands of these stories about how God answered his prayers. And uh, this is what he said. This is uh, from another of Whitney's books, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. But he says this. In the spring of 1841, George Mueller made a discovery regarding the relationship between meditation and prayer that transformed his spiritual life. He described his new insight in this way, quote, Before this time, my practice had been, at least for 10 years previously, as a habitual thing to give myself to prayer after having dressed in the morning. Now I saw that the most important thing was to give myself to the reading of God's word and to meditation on it, that thus my heart may be comforted, encouraged, warned, reproved, instructed, and that thus by means of the word of God, whilst meditating on it, my heart might be brought into experimental communion, that means experiential in our language, communion with the Lord. I began to meditate on the New Testament from the beginning, early in the morning. The first thing I did after having asked in a few words the Lord's blessing on his precious word was to begin to meditate on the word of God, searching, as it were, into every verse to get a blessing out of it, not for the sake of the public ministry of the word, not for the sake of preaching on what I had meditated on, but for the sake of obtaining food for my own soul. The result I have found to be most almost invariably this that after a few minutes, my soul has been led to confession, to thanksgiving, or to intercession, or to give supplication, so that though I did not, as it were, give myself to prayer, but to meditation, yet it turned almost immediately, more or less, into prayer. The result of this is that there's always a good deal of confession, thanksgiving, supplication, intercession, mingled with my meditation, and that my inner man almost invariably 
even sensibly nourished and strengthened, and that by breakfast time, with rare exceptions, I am in a peaceful, if not happy, state of heart. Now, what is food for the inner man? Not prayer, but the Word of God. And here again, not the simple reading of the Word of God so that it only passes through our minds, just as water passes through a pipe, but considering what we read, pondering over it, and applying it to our hearts and our prayers. And he says later, By the blessing of God, I ascribe to this mode the help and strength which I have had from God to pass in peace through deeper trials in various ways than I have ever had before. And having now above 14 years tried this way, I can most fully commend it in fear of God. So this is what Mueller says, is I take the word and then I approach it, not because I'm going to be teaching on it this coming week, not to figure out all its nuances, but I approach it so that God would nourish my soul through it. And I find that in meditating on it and pondering that invariably moves him to a place of prayer. And this is something that tons of believers have talked about. Matthew Henry talks about this. John Calvin talks about this. Wesley talks about this. This practice of taking the word and then meditating on it and then kind of personalizing it and making it into a prayer. That way, it's like, okay, I prayed for mommy and daddy and Susie and, and now I'm out. But this is like, okay, this widens your perspective on prayer. So how... Do I pray? I think one of the things that we can do is take the word of God and begin to pray the word. Um, for probably, I don't know, six or seven years now, I've been using Robert Murray McShane's um, reading through the Bible, basically. It takes you through his reading plan, takes you to the Psalms and the New Testament twice in the year and the Old Testament once. And that's just what I do in the morning. And I approach that with the sense of, Lord, I'm here. I, I want to hear from you. Take out the distracting voices that are in my head and speak to me through your word. And, you know, although all the world word is inspired, some of it is more inspiring, right? You get in the first part of, you know, Chronicles and you're like, whoa, this is, I'm not getting a whole lot of here other than God knows us by name. Okay, thank you, Lord, for that. But the reality is, as we go through the word, Luther used to say, read it until the Holy Spirit grabs you and then just camp out there. God, why is this particular thought or verse or word grabbing my attention? What do you want to say to me in the midst of this? Because again, prayer is meant to be not a one-way conversation. What's it like to talk with somebody that only talks, 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 talks? There's not much of a relationship there, right? So we can bring all our stuff to God, but I think in our prayer, we need to make space to listen to God. And so many of the old saints have said the best way to make space to listen to God is to open his word and begin to meditate on it and just use that kind of as the guidance for your prayer life. That way you will always have something to pray about. So that's the word-centered approach basically on how we, we listen to God in our prayers. Um, Whitney recommends what the, he calls the Psalms of the day. Um, so uh, it's the 31st today. So this is the only day that it does not work for because there's 31 days in the month. But on the 31st, basically, you take Psalm 119. It's a really big psalm. But on the other day, say it's the 12th of the month, you take basically, well, look at five psalms. There's 150 psalms. So 150 divided by five is what? 30, right? So you take, say it's the 12th. I'm going to look at Psalm 12, I'm going to look at Psalm 42, I'm going to look at Psalm 72, I'm going to look at Psalm 102, and I'm going to look at Psalm 132. And out of those five Psalms, you peruse those really quickly, and you say, Lord, which one of these am I clicking with, am I connecting with? And then you spend time in that Psalm just praying that Psalm. So let's take just Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And you just pray that to the Lord. Lord. Thank you that I'm a man that you have shown to me the way of life. And though I was a mocker, though I was a scoffer, though I was apart from you, you have blessed me. You have opened my eyes to the truth of who you are. Lord, is there any place in my life where I am listening to the counsel that's not your counsel? 
Am I off in any sense? And then it says, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. Lord, thank you that you have promised to make my life fruitful. And even if I don't see that fruit, if I abide in you, you promise to bring forth that fruit in its season. And if it's a rough season right now, or it's maybe winter, Lord, give me the strength and courage to get through this season. But you see, you just go through that psalm and you just use the words of the psalm as a catalyst for your prayer. And you just pray those things that come to mind as you go through the verses of those psalms. So I think that's a a good way to start. Again, you know, the Lord's Prayer, we talked about using that. You know, this is these are all just various approaches to prayer. To me, the main thing is that we're praying, not the approach that we use. I've used various approaches. For a while, I would journal all my prayers, and I'd write A-C-T-S on my thing, and, I, and it's like, why did I do that? Because my mind would go in a zillion directions if I was not journaling, right? So that's what kept me on board. And for a while, you know, I'd read the whole Bible, but then that became kind of, I'm just reading through this. I'm just cruising through it to finish it. I'm not really pondering this that much. And then for a season, I took a smaller chunk of scripture. I'm just going to focus on a smaller chunk of scripture in my time with the Lord and prayer. So again, to me, I'm not saying this is the only way you can do things. Um, Scripture, you know, I think spouses of a variety of prayers there's 650 prayers about in scripture and those prayers are all very different so to me find an approach that works in your life the main thing is that you're doing it not the style with which you're doing it or the approach and i think throughout history so many of the powerful saints of god have used the word as kind of the framework off of which they can pray. And then it gives you time where it's like, okay, I can easily spend four hours if I take three or four Psalms and go through that slowly and just think about the implications for my life. What's the Lord saying in, in my life in that way? So, so use the word in that way. So that's the word approach to listening to God. A second approach I call the sense-centered approach. This is the Quaker or the pietist approach to listening to God, to This is the more subjective approach. This is where evangelicals start to get a little nervous. Your palms start to sweat and just kind of being quiet before the Lord and listening to what he wants to say to you in the stillness before him. And again, this is is really subjective. But to me, God promises that he's going to speak to us. And as his sheep, we will hear his voice. There's tons and tons of illustrations in life of people being prompted by the Spirit just in their gut that, okay, pray for this person right now, right? And that person is prayed for, and then six months later, it's like, yeah, I was in Fallujah, and man, it was all going down hard and heavy, and that was the exact time that we needed safety, and that's when you were praying for me. Or have you ever just gotten an impression call this person or write this person a letter or all of those kind of things. To me, that's, that's the Quaker approach. Spirit, you can speak to me and you will speak to me. I know YWAM, it's a big thing. You know, is that you, God? You know, the guy that started YWAM and listening to God. And, and again, you know, for those of us who are evangelicals, we're just like, whoa, you can get really crazy. Yeah, you can, you can. And I've been in places where it's like, Oh, I see the Lord. I'm seeing a ketchup bottle and then something. Oh, I worked in a fast food restaurant one time. It's like, not really sure if that was the Holy Spirit, you know, maybe. And you can move in in that direction. But to completely cut that off to me is cutting off an avenue where the Lord is able to speak to us. And again, you know, to me, obviously in doing this, it needs to be consistent with the word of God. In my life, the primary way, way that God speaks to me is through his written word. But he also gives me those, I will call still small nudges periodically to do something. And to me, that's as much from him in that way. And I need to follow through. Am I always certain of it? No. But if God's nudging you to do something and it's not immoral and not wrong, maybe follow through and you'll maybe see, oh, that was exactly what I needed at that moment. Has anybody ever been called or approached at that time at the exact time when you're like, oh, I'm about to fall off the rails. And then God's spirit nudges another believer and says, hey, Give this person a call or write them a letter and and do that. And again, you know, it can go off in a strange way. I remember reading about a Quaker woman that would get up in the morning 
that she would only dress as the Holy Spirit led her. So sometimes she would never get out of her nightgown. Sometimes she'd put on one sock and not another sock, you know, and it was just like, okay, you know, God's given us a brain to be able to dress ourselves and you can move to that extreme in that. But I've seen the other side where God can never speak in that way at all. And it's like, I don't think scripture is saying that either. Clearly, everything needs to be evaluated in light of scripture and the subjective is obviously less objective than scripture. But to me, to rule that out, and it's like, Lord, do you want to say something to me now? Give me ears to hear. Help me not to be deceived. And again, if you feel like the Lord is telling you something that's a major thing to me, one of the ways you evaluate it is going to the Word. Is this contrary to anything in the Word? No. Then another way is seeking out some wise brothers or sisters and saying, hey, this is what I think the Lord is saying to me. What do you think about that? You know, not, okay, this is my plan. I'm going this way because the Lord has directed me. Well, you know, it's kind of difficult when you're just only in your own head to discern, is this my thinking or is this the Holy Spirit working in me? But again, because of that subjectivity, I think sometimes believers shy away from that. I'm not even going to go there. And I think we miss out on what God wants to do through us in the dailiness of life. Again, church, I know that, you know, felt nudged by God to go in and talk to a particular man and a business went in and the guy came to Christ, you know, so it's like, okay, you know, I realize that happens and that's not people out on the lunatic fringe and it's like not doing anything unless they get a sense from the Lord. It's like, no, I don't need a sense from the Lord to help my wife with the dishes. You know, I just need to help my wife with the dishes there. Right. And I'm not waiting to get, get moved in that way. But again, to recognize that one of the things that we're doing when we pray is, is listening to the Lord and to provide some space for that in prayer. Another controversial thing is, is praying in tongues. Um, I know some people in our body that do that. To me, you know, that's a valid expression. I can't see anything in Scripture that invalidates that, right? Paul says, don't forbid speaking in tongues. And I know there's some evangelicals out there that will say none of those gifts apply today. And it's like, well, this is what Scripture says. Don't forbid this. And now it seems by the position you're taking, you're forbidding this. And again, I know I've been in charismatic churches where that is not practiced at all in a biblical way. But Paul says, man, I'm glad I pray in tongues. And I probably pray in tongues more than any of you. If I'm in the body, I would rather say five intelligible words that other people can understand than pray a thousand in a tongue. But he doesn't say, I don't do that. And he says, when I pray in a tongue, my mind is unfruitful. And that makes evangelicals really nervous, right? It's like, it's like, okay, well, this is something that is ministering to your spirit. So if that is something that God has given you, that is completely okay. Don't push it aside because it doesn't fit in a paradigm that you're in. We need to be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. In the big controversy in Acts 15, whether... Paul was out ministering to the Gentiles. They were coming to Christ. And it's like, hey, do they need to be circumcised? And then there was a group of Jewish Christians that said, you bet they do. They need to follow the whole law. And so Paul's like, okay, we need to resolve this. We're going back to Jerusalem. And the end of that, what was said, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to not require circumcision. So here's the church listening to God at that moment and saying, okay, this is what we sense the Holy Spirit communicating to us. Through James and through other believers, this is the direction that we're going. So this is a new area where they had not had all this experience. And it's like, okay, this is what the Holy Spirit is saying. And it seemed good to us as well. So both that combination of this is what we sense the Holy Spirit leading, but also the use of our rational faculties. And okay, this seems to, to make sense as well. So give some space for that as well. Paul, you know, when he's going through northern Turkey and says the Holy Spirit kept shutting the door. Don't go there. Don't go there. Don't go there. And then he gets this vision of Macedonia and he's like, oh, now I go over there. So that's God leading and directing in ways that are outside of just the word of God. So I think we need to be open to that. We also need to recognize that the word is what we base all of our doctrine and kind of evaluation of these subjective leanings. But I think I found too many Christians that it's like I'm cutting off this whole experiential part of my walk with God because that makes me too nervous. Well, yeah, there's things in there and I know you can go off the deep end, but Paul didn't seem to say, well, because there's a problem with excess, we're going to cut it all off. 
And in fact, he says, don't forbid certain things. And to me, we need to be open to what the Spirit would do as well. Also, um, just in terms of praying, I think variety is important in prayer as well. Um, in any relationship, if you talk the exact same way with the other person you're in that relationship with in the same place, it's, it's going to get kind of routine, right? Um, to me, one of the things we can incorporate in prayer is praise, is song, right? Augustine said that he who sings prays twice. This idea that, you know, our whole body and being is involved in that. Some of you are more musical and, you know, can sing some spontaneous songs before the Lord. That's that's great. That's wonderful. Others of you, (laughs) you may want to put in a praise song or something like that. That can be significant in your time of, of adoration before the Lord. But to recognize that God can speak powerfully in that medium as well. Um, There was a time early in my ministry where um, Mac Powell and Third Day kept me in the ministry. I was totally ready to bail out. And there were two songs from Third Day that God kept bringing across my kind of radio. And it's just like, Lord, uh, you know, I'm done. And it's like, no, don't give up. Don't, you know. And God powerfully spoke to my heart through music. So you know, look at the Psalms. They are prayers, yes, but they are also sung. And I don't know what to the tune of the dove of the morning is anymore, you know, but the reality is that this was meant to be sung. So I think using praise as part of our time with the Lord and listening and allowing God to speak through that as well. Um, If you want to journal, fine. If you want to stop journaling, fine. Again, to me, what is helpful in giving a connection with God in your life? And as I've said before, if you want to take big chunks of Scripture and read through them till God hits you and then stop there, or you want to take a smaller chunk of Scripture and then just ponder every word. The Lord is my shepherd. Lord, you are master and king. You're my shepherd. You know, you have a relationship with me of guiding me and of directing me and of, of moving me through life. Thank you that you have been so present to me throughout these years and you're my shepherd you know where i need to go and sometimes when it gets dark you're still with me and leading me and guiding me to me all of these things are things that we can use but the main thing is are we connecting with the real god of the universe and are we humbly before him in this exercise of prayer if you struggle with prayer to me one of the places to start is pray about praying (laughs) Just get really honest with God. God, I, you know, I really struggle here. You know, if I can get two minutes in, I'm feeling like, whoo, great spiritual progress today. You know, a lot of days, Lord, if I'm honest, I don't connect with you at all in a centered, focused way. So help me, Lord. Help me connect. Another thing that you can do if you're struggling with prayer is to pray with someone. And so I was like, man, I, I really struggle to do that. And I said, okay, dude, I'm going to call you at 6.30 in the morning, and we're going to pray from 6.30 to 6.45, and that's how we're going to start our day. And they made a commitment with one another. That's what we're going to do because we need it, you know. So recognize that this is not something that typically comes easy. To me, this is probably the spiritual discipline or practice that's going to be most fought against by the evil one out there because he does not want us connected and abiding with God because that's the source of our fruitfulness and the strength in our walk with God. So it's going to be attacked hard. So again, you know, there's different things you can do. You know, I'm going to put a, I didn't put it out here this morning, but just a bibliography and some good books on prayer. Like I mentioned before, Tim Keller has a really good book on prayer. Philip Yancey has a good book on prayer. Um, I can't remember the guy's name right now, but he's got a book, When God is on Mute. When we struggle with, you know, hearing the voice of God and we're not seeming to hear anything, that seems to be part of our relationship in prayer with God as well. And as you read through the Psalms, you're going to get to those Psalms like, God, where are you? You know, and that may be where you are right now. And to recognize, God, you've given this Psalm that kind of is given the experience of my heart right now. And you've allowed it to be in Scripture. So this is something that I know your people feel. If you read through the Psalms, almost two-thirds of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. And I was like, God, I'm really struggling right now. So again, to me in prayer, again, I keep coming back. Is it the real me connecting with the real God? Not, you know, I don't have to be perfect to come to prayer. I come to prayer as I am. 
in order to be transformed and changed as I interact with this God of the universe and to bring what I really am to God. He knows what I'm feeling. If I'm ticked off at him, he can handle that. And you see that in the Psalms. And you get to those Psalms and, you know, I think Whitney was talking about, what do you do with like the imprecatory Psalms? God, you know, take down my enemies and dash their children against the rocks. And it's like, oh, I don't know if I want to meditate on that one for for very long, but just that sense of, okay, recognizing, A, David is not doing that personally. He's taken that honest gut feeling before the Lord. Lord, I want you to bring justice and to recognize probably those enemies had done this to other people. And he's saying, basically, I want you to bring justice into their lives, to, to use those prayers as, okay, Lord, I want you to bring justice into this world, to take down human trafficking, to, to do all this, use it as a catalyst for justice. We're called to love our enemies. And one of the prayers I pray is, is Lord, turn them around or take them out. You know, my prayer would be that they would turn to you. And if they do that, there's always grace and mercy. Paul is a murderer, right? A murderer of Christians. <laughs> and God turns them into the greatest evangelist, you know, that the church has known. So that reality of God can turn them around. But Lord, take it down. If it doesn't go that way. And I think that's something we can pray as well. Again, a good place many people recommend is just to start in the Psalms because you'll get that breadth of human experience there. And then maybe to start then into the New Testament. Uh, Old Testament narrative is a little bit more challenging to apply the, the Lectio Divina approach there um, or just reading in a meditative way and, and kind of allowing that to be the catalyst for your prayers. But again, um, to me, the important thing is not the how, but that we are doing this, you know, and there's there's a lot of stuff out there. If you're struggling with this, I'd love to talk to you or talk to one of the other elders. We want to be of help in this area. But to me, this, like I said, is the foundational practice, the foundational thing that needs to kind of stabilize and energize our walk with God. If I'm not connecting with God regularly, I don't think I've got the ability to do what he's calling me to do. Jesus says what? Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then he goes on and talks about the, the need to abide in the vine. And to me, prayer is that time when we abide in the vine. And we can bring all of our stuff to God. Yes, we can cast all our burdens on him. But I think many times in evangelical circles, prayer has become simply intercession. Just all the stuff that, you know, I want God to do. And that's not bad things. Lord, turn this person around. I'd love this person to come to Christ. You know, minister there. That, that's wonderful. But we miss a big part of prayer, which is our connection with God. Again, the two quotes that have hit me more as I've read a bunch of stuff on prayer is prayer is not to get things, but to get God. And is it the real you that's connecting with the real God? To me, I want both of those aspects to be true of my life. And I think, you know, as we connect with God, there's going to be a deeper vitality in our walk, a deeper joy in our walk. It's going to produce all sorts of benefits. And again, I know the challenge with prayer, but uh, reality sets in that if I'm not doing this, I'm not setting aside, if I'm not disciplining myself in this area of my life, I don't know if I'm going to have much discipline for other areas of my life because I think this is so foundational. It's what connects me to that. It's the plug-in to the power source. And so I'm going to encourage you guys to pray, to find that space, that desert place without distractions. Turn your stinking digital stuff off. You're not going to die without it for however long you get away, right? And if you're struggling, start in a psalm, pray through the psalms. Just pray the Lord's Prayer. Use that as a kind of scaffolding on which to build your prayers. Other parts of scripture, put in a praise song that's especially meaningful for you. But get time away with the Lord and it will be transformative. And it may seem like this is a fair amount of work on the front end, but I truly think once you get into it more and more, it becomes a delight. And it's like, oh, I miss my time with the Lord this morning. Lord, thank you that you're gracious. You know we live in this chaotic life, but I want to reconnect with you. Help me to do that. Again, this is not being said to shame you. And it's like, you need to do this. But this is what 
I think will provide us with a huge amount of life in our lives and enable us to experience that John 10, 10, come that they may have life and have that life to the full. And that life to the full only comes as I'm connected with the source of that life. And that is God. Let's pray. Father, you know how we struggle with prayer so often. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us as individuals here in this church to commit to focusing on you. Lord, give us the strength to be disciplined in this area. It's so easy for other things to crowd this out, but Lord, help us to make this a priority in our lives. Lord, help us, even as we walk through our days, to keep that line of communication with you open, to be responsive, to pray like Samuel. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Lord, we want to hear from you, primarily through your word, but in other ways as well, as your spirit just nudges us with that still small voice. Help us to be balanced in this, but help us to be open to whatever your spirit would do in our hearts and our lives. Lord, we want the real us to be connected with the real you. Help us to do that. Help us to humbly bring all of our stuff into your presence, knowing that you will never push us away, knowing that there we receive mercy and we find grace in our time of need. And Lord, we need you every hour, every minute of every hour, every second of every minute of every hour. Help us to remember that. Help us to live in humble dependence, connected with you. Fill us with your spirit and with the joy of our relationship with you. In your precious and powerful name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.